0: Welcome again to Fat Free Film. I'm your host, Joel Marshall, and this is my co-host, Pamela Lopez, and we are here today with Scott Prendergast, and Scott is a filmmaker. We just recently saw his feature film, Kablooey, Kablooey, which was great, which was great. It was great, and so we're very happy to have you here, and thank you for being here.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here as well. Great.
2: So can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of the project? Did you did you start out at a lab at um Film Independent?
1: Uh with this project I did, I had made a bunch of short films on my own. Uh one with a friend, one for MTV, just I sort of I never went to film school. I taught myself by making short films and then <clears throat> I wrote my first feature script which was Kabuli and I had no idea how to make a feature. I'd only ever made my films alone in my apartment, you know, with friends. Where so, was your apartment? In Brooklyn, New York.
0: Okay. So that's, is
1: that where you grew up? No, I'm from Portland, Oregon, but I've been living, I went to Columbia and I've been in New York for 12 years, so.
2: So when you made your shorts, did you, what did you shoot on and how did you do your post?
1: Um, I, in, I think the year 2000, I was in a Federal Express commercial, I was in a commercial actor. And the com- the strike happened, and the commercial ran and ran and ran and ran, so I made a lot of money. And I used the money to buy a Canon XL1 camera and a Mac computer and Final Cut Pro version 1. And uh, so I just taught myself to use the software, and I would literally shoot things around my apartment, like, you know, here's the couch, and here's a pencil rolling down the hall or whatever, and then I would teach myself to edit. And, <laughs> and then... Um, and then I was like, okay, now I'm ready to make a short film. So I made... Uh, well, I made... Um, I just did a bunch of really crazy tests with me, like... Just sitting in front of the camera playing music and... Making weird faces. I mean, simple things. And then I made a film for 60 bucks in six hours called Group Therapy. Which is on my website. And, um, and then... Uh, and then I made... And then somehow that got into the hands of someone at MTV. Well... I did all the editing. I mean, your question was, how did I do it? I bought a Canon XL1, shot on a tripod, edited it myself, and then those are the really early ones. And then a guy named Gabriel Rhodes and I decided that we would start the Final Cut Pro users group in New York. There wasn't a users group. So we started that group and we were doing that, and then we realized we didn't really want to run a group. We were like, it's, too, it's all about administration. And we were like, we want to be filmmakers. So we made a short film called Anna's Being Stocked for a thousand bucks in a weekend. We shot it uh, one weekend and um, I wrote it. Gabe and I directed it together and I played an albino stalker and our friend Pat played the victim of the stalking. So we made it for a thousand bucks and we submitted it to Sundance and we got in. And it was, I mean, it was incredible. The fact that we got in, we were just floored. So, and I had never been to a film festival. I had never applied to a film festival. I'd never been to a film festival. So At first, I didn't know what a big deal it was. I was like, oh, yeah, we got a short film in this festival. And then then I shortly realized that that was a big deal. So we went there, and then I made another short the next year. Uh, Well, actually, it's funny because I made the short film, and I went to Sundance, and all my life I'd wanted to be a filmmaker. And then Sundance, you know, you arrive, and they give you a badge, which says filmmaker. And I was like, I'm a filmmaker. Like, I had arrived, I thought and then I went now, home
2: let me quickly yeah. ask you because I know there are a lot of people that want to go to Sundance and certainly right. um, that sends short films to Sundance and they don't ever get in there was nobody that put in a word for you or nothing
1: nothing just sent in a VHS tape and that was it
2: wow that's amazing and what
1: year was that? 2002
2: and then did they pay to fly you out there?
1: No. Uh, with short filmmakers they don't they don't provide hotel or uh, airfare they just, uh, you know, the, but, they, but the thing is, it's, it's like sort of like you know the farm team. They sort of bring you in. They're like, this is starting off your career. And so, we flew ourselves out there and went, and we got a lot of great response to the short. And um, and then I came back to LA, and I went on all these meetings. And Did every, you
2: get an agent out of Sundance? I
1: didn't. Uh, we didn't really get. I think in the long run, we really didn't get anything out of it. We just. Uh, we were there we had a great reception we got written up all we had a lot of press and you know we met some celebrities and it was very exciting and but uh, nothing actually came of it per se that i because i came back to la i went all these meetings i like could go open up a lot of doors to go on meetings but i would go to the meetings and people would say so where's your feature script and i'd be like um i don't have a feature script and they're like well call us when you do so then i was determined to get back into sundance the next year and um I had a friend named Ari Gold who'd had three short films at Sundance in a row. And I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be the next I'm gonna have my next film go to Sundance. And everyone said to me, Well, if you have one film in Sundance, you know, they wanna welcome you back. They wanna make you a part of their community, they wanna support the careers of young filmmakers. So I went home, I went right into production, and I made a short film called The Delicious and which I shot in my apartment with my friends. And um uh and we applied to Sundance, and we did not get in. And I was absolutely devastated. I felt like, you know, I was like, I wanted to be a filmmaker, and Sundance was like, you are a filmmaker. And then they were like, oh, no, you're not. And, like, they took it back. And I was so crushed. But um, I really, I, I mean, it's one of the darkest periods of my entire life. And in a way, it was a really, really good lesson, because the thing it taught me was uh, Sundance is not everything. Because what happened next was, We had sold Anna's Being Stocked, the first short, to the Sundance Channel. We met the Sundance Channel. We were at Sundance. They bought it. So then I sent Delicious to the Sundance Channel, and they were like, we want it. And I said, but we didn't get into Sundance. They're like, we don't care. We're putting it on the channel. And then we applied to all these other film festivals, and that film played in more film festivals than any other film I've ever made. It played all over the world. It Still to this day, I get like, this was five years ago. I still get like uh, two or three emails a week from people all over the world who have seen it on the internet and then there's McSweeney's magazine which is you know the guy Dave Eggers has a magazine McSweeney's they started putting out a DVD compendium uh, quarterly I think and the first issue had my short film on it it just it went everywhere it was the most success. it was the most successful thing I have ever done to date and in a way what was great about that was I was like oh Sundance isn't everything you know I thought I was so crushed we didn't get in but then it went on to be so much more successful and I realized I could be a filmmaker even if Sundance didn't support me so, then um, I got an agent through that short, and I got an agent to that short film. Everything How did that I that
2: come to pass. Uh,
1: I was in the LA Film Festival um, with The Delicious and the Los Angeles Film Festival, which is run by Film Independent, and they have this thing called Kodak Speed Dating. And everybody who is in uh, the film festival is allowed you go to this thing where you meet industry people. So we went. And you, you know, have 10 minutes with like 20 different people from the industry and being young and sort of enterprising. I went every day and someone always was sick or dropped out one of the participants. So I always filled in for them. So I went to all the sessions. And on one of the days that I was there, <clears throat> there was an agent there, um, Todd Hoffman from Broder. And <laughs> I sat down with him and he was like, how are you? Because everyone who sat down with him was like, you're an agent. Why don't you sign me? Like and he was so tired of being, you know, people like hitting on him to represent them. And so I said down. I did the exact same thing, like, hi, I want an agent. He was like, oh, God. He was so tired of hearing that from people. But then he said, well, give me your short films and I'll watch them and, you know, we'll see. I'll call you, whatever. So I gave him my DVD and then uh, the next morning he called me and said, where are you? Come to my office. I'll sign you. Wow. So that's actually one piece of advice I would give to any filmmaker is you should have everything you've the it's such a mistake to you never know when you're going to meet somebody you never know when opportunity is going to arise you should always have a dvd with you that has all of your work you don't want to be able to say oh well some of my work is on another dvd or i can get you you know because like the moment is now he was there here's my dvd it has all my short films on it and also i had a website with all my short films on it so at any time I could say, go to my website, and here's my business card. I have a professional business card. My website's listed on it. My contact information, which has never changed. like So my cell phone is the same for the last 12 years. Here's my cell phone number. Here's my website. Here's my DVD. I was always, always prepared. And do you that,
0: have any trouble with, uh, you said you sold two of your short films, or maybe more. Um, do you have any problems putting them on your website if they're, you know, if you sold them? I
1: always made sure that I was allowed to keep them on my, I mean, my website doesn't get, my website is mostly like my resume, so it's not like it has a lot of, well, I actually don't, some of it has a lot of traffic, the Delicious does, but I always wrote into the contracts I want to be able to show them on my own site. And they and sometimes they said, okay, you can do that after a year or you can do that after six months, but I always had the rights. Or I would link if it was on another website. I would like with uh, Anna's being stocked is on Adam Films. Mm-hmm. So on my site it just says here's the link to Anna's being stocked on this site. So um, Do you think
0: it makes it I'm sorry, but yeah. do you think it makes it any harder to sell your short if you've got it on your website as well?
1: I don't know. I mean I sold um Anna's being stocked at Sundance. We sold it there. And then with the delicious, we sold it before it was ever shown anywhere. So those two, the ones I had the most success with, I just sold right out of the gate, um, which is incredibly lucky to sell them at all, to make any money and, uh, with a short. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to get distribution, it's probably not a great idea. If you don't have distribution, you probably don't want it to be on your site and be too, too circulated.
0: Yeah, but so. once you get it, you know, you've, you've played it out to a certain extent. It's a great thing to be able to just go, hey, to go here and watch my yeah. short films. I mean, that must be just so helpful.
1: Well, I I honestly believe that one of the reasons that I have that I got the feature made is because I always had a DVD with me and I always had a business card with me, and it all, I was always prepared. Like, because it's true, that thing they say, that, like, you know, luck is like lightning, and you're not going to get hit unless you're out in the field with a kite and a key. Like, you <laughs> you have to be ready. So I was always you know had a DVD and yeah. um, so anyway so you got an agent so I got an agent mm-hmm. so he signed me and uh, off this short film uh, off these all of my short films but I think mainly The Delicious and so then he and so I came back out to LA and I was living in New York still and he set me up on a bunch of meetings and I, to his credit he signed me and I had nothing I had these short films I had made and I had nothing else he was like do you have any feature or scripts and I said no do you have ideas for future scripts? Yes, but I haven't written them yet.
0: Did he sign you as a director or writer-director? Director, director writer-director. Writer,
1: writer, no, they don't. Broder at that time didn't handle actors. Okay. So Broder was like, I uh, is a was a well-known uh, literary agency, very strong reputation in TV, and I had heard a lot of great things about the agency and a lot of great things about my agent, and uh, and I just liked him, and I liked also his, I liked the fact that he was willing to sign me even though I had nothing. I really was like, here are my five short films. That's all I have. So. And he, you know, he introduced me to a lot of people, brought me out to L.A. I went to all these meetings and I would go to meetings and talk to people. He's like, I'm just setting up relationships for you so that someday when you do a feature script, you'll meet these people again. Blah, blah, blah. So I met a lot of people. And then
0: (laughs) at this point, are you just going, God, I got to write a feature script.
1: Yes. And everyone I know was like, you have to write a feature script. What are you doing? (laughs) And everyone was like, just pounding me over the head. Like, what? You're never going anywhere. Like. I had basically tapped out of the short film market. You know, I had made a short. I had one at Sundance. I sold them all. I made money on all of them. And and I made... Actually, And in the interim, uh, Fox Searchlight has a program called Search Lab. And they uh, gave me a shot to make a short for them. I did that. And then... What was
2: that experience?
1: It was good. I actually was... I uh, had already started shooting a short film. And then I just made that my Fox Search Lab film. And uh, used their money to complete the film. And then it was theirs. So... And uh, I actually, because I was living in New York, I didn't have a lot of contact with them. I met Susan O'Leary, who saw The Delicious at the film festival. And she's the one who was like, I really want you to do this. So I made that for her. But um, so and actually, it's funny. Susan O'Leary is a person now who it's true. Everyone you meet, you know, get a business card from everyone Write on the back of the business card. You know, I met this person, so-and-so. They said this. Remind yourself of who they are and uh, and just keep in touch with all of them, you know, like because they all. As you will soon see as the story continues. So, so anyway, <laughs> at the film festival, um, a guy from Ben Stiller's company, Red Hour, uh, his name was Rhodes Raider, somehow saw the short, heard about it, wanted to see it. They sent him a copy. My agent sent him a copy. He loved it, called me in for a meeting. I go into Ben Stiller's company, and I was so excited. You know, I was like, oh my God, it's Ben Stiller's company. It seemed so legit to me. So, I went to their company, and I had a meeting with this guy, Rhodes Raider. And he was like, I love this short. It's brilliant. Uh, I really want to work with you. Um, Do you have a feature script? No. Well, when you do, you've got to call me someday. I will. um, And then I think somehow through some random string of events, that led to me auditioning for a part in Dodgeball, which I didn't get. But, you know, I sort of like... was
2: cool, though.
1: Yeah, it was kind of exciting. But, um, you know, I met people. And then... So I go back to New York. And everyone's like, you have to write a feature. What What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And I had dinner with a friend of mine in L.A. And she literally... We were eating and I was talking about what I was doing, and she put her knife down and she was like, Scott, stop fucking around and write a feature script. And I was so panicked and I just, I had never written a script. I never studied screenwriting. I didn't go to film school. I knew nothing about writing a script. I had tried to write feature scripts, but I always tried to write them like I wrote my shorts. I sat down and I just, I would just sit down and start writing. Like, because with a short, you can do that. You know, you can just sit down, like, oh, you have an idea for a character, sit down and write it. Ten pages later, you're done. But with a feature, it just did not work. I had these great characters and great settings, but the plot went nowhere. And I never knew what the ending was going to be. So I had tried and failed to write, I think, one or two features. And then finally, um, uh, my personal life overlapped with my professional life. My brother was in Iraq for a year and a half, and he's in the National Guard. He was called up, he was given one week's notice. And he said, They said, You're going to Iraq, you'll be gone for a year, you leave in a week. So his and he had two boys at that time, a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and his wife, who knew her husband was in the National Guard, but never really quite figured. No one knew the National Guard would go to war or overseas. Never anticipated that, and uh, so she, she was totally stunned. We were all stunned, and then he was gone, and so she had a very, very, very hard time. It just brought up a lot of personal issues for her. She was terrified. The children were young. She was. It's not that she wasn't equipped. Uh, well, I mean, she just emotionally, she, as anyone would, she freaked out. Every day she was worried, is my husband alive? And she had never, ever prepared herself for this possibility. And also, um, she they don't live on an army base. You know, he's the National Guard. He works for Nike, and they live in Oregon. She didn't know anybody else in the military. She didn't know any other military brides she could, you know, talk to, to, you know, get sympathy from. She was completely adrift. So... It was this horrible time. I was trying to write a feature. <laughs> not that not that my circumstances in any way are comparable with hers. That sounds wrong. But um so then we were taking all these family vacations and my parents would fly us all to like, you know, California or once we went to Hawaii, we would all go together on vacation. And basically the idea was we would let my sister in law have a vacation, she would lie on the beach or, you know, just chill out, and we would take care of the kids. Because she was literally beside herself falling apart and so we're all in hawaii and um we're taking care of the kids and everyone is very very nervous and upset all the time because we don't know this was in the beginning of the war this was the very beginning this was in 2003 2002 2003 right when the war started um God, i don't even remember when it was now it must have been in it was the end of middle 2004 maybe well i know that well, this trip took place on October 19th of 2003. I know that. So I think he went to war in March of 2003. Wow. So, and that was the very beginning. Everyone terrified. The parents terrified. My sister in law terrified. I'm worried. And we're coming home on the plane. And I was sitting in seat 12A, an American Airlines flight back to um, the mainland. And I suddenly had the idea of a man in a big blue mascot costume. And I turned to my friend who said, This was just
0: an idea that you had. Popped just based into my head.
1: And I had literally, earlier in the day, I had been reading an article about J.K. Rowling, Mm -hmm. about how she got the idea for Harry Potter while she was riding on a train, Mm -hmm. and it all came to her at once. She was on a train, and suddenly she was like, bing! She had the idea. Like, from all seven books, all at once came to her. And she went home and just started writing it. She knew exactly where she was going. She wrote the last chapter first. And I was pissed. I read that article, and I was like, was so mad at my brain. I was like, where the fuck is my billion-dollar idea? Like...
0: (laughs) It's like letters from God, or whatever. yeah, like it just popped into her head, and I was
1: like, "Where? You're not giving me anything!" So, and then maybe because I was angry at my brain, my brain tried to throw me a bone. So, um, an odd big one, big blue, yeah. weird looking.
0: And you're like, so, "Thanks a lot, pal." No,
1: I was thrilled. <laughs> I got so so. I opened up my laptop, and I have the document still. And the reason I know the date is because I looked at the date of creation for the doc- document, and I just I wrote, "Man in big blue mascot costume." This is your first feature and so I'm sitting on, and I turned to the person sitting next to me on the plane and I said a man in a big blue mascot costume and they were like what are you talking about and I was like it's perfect it's a man in a blue mascot costume and he's trapped inside the costume and he doesn't want to work there and he can't get out and there's this woman that hires him and he's working out in the middle of nowhere on this big empty road and like the whole thing came to me at once the color of the costume the shape of the costume changed a little bit at first it was just a sort of formless blob and then and so I just started typing and I wrote out well half half of the idea for the movie then but it w- didn't involve the other half of the movie at all. It was oh, just wow. about a man in a mascot costume. And so then I got back to New York, and uh, I was every day writing down ideas, ideas, ideas. And I decided this time I was going to do things right. I was not going to write a single word of the script until I had uh, figured out the ending of the movie and the outline and everything. Until I had everything completely solid. I was going to force myself to outline every day for a month. And then at the end of the month, if I had a solid outline and a good ending, then I would allow myself to start writing the script. And I was worried that would kill it. I'd never written with an outline. And I'd always just written so spontaneously, and I thought an outline would be so deadly. Why would I? But it didn't. It turned out to be incredibly beneficial. So I took the summer off from New York. I went home to Oregon. I I gave up everything. I quit my job. I spent all my money, all my savings. I lost my apartment. I just like gave up everything in my life and I just focused totally on making my first feature and someone had once said to me that someone I knew knew Kevin Williamson who wrote scream and that apparently when he was like a struggling young writer he said you know what I'm gonna quit my temp job and I'm gonna be broke for a while and I'm just gonna go after what I want and in the back of my mind I was always thinking I'm gonna do that I'm gonna do that like in a very dramatic way like I'll just give everything up so I went home to Oregon I live with my sister-in-law and uh, I went to the library every single day and I was writing the outline for this movie. And slowly as I was writing it, I started thinking, well, maybe the guy who gets this job should have a backstory like my backstory. Maybe he should be taking care of his sister-in-law and their kids. So I started writing that into the movie. And then slowly it was like, I had two movies in a way I had the sister-in-law movie and the mascot costume movie. And I liked that because one was slapstick and one was sad and dramatic and then they would overlap and affect each other. And, uh, And I outlined it every day for a month and then at the end of a month I had it. the great outline and a great ending. And then I wrote the script and...
2: How long did it take you then to write the script after you had the outline?
1: I wrote the first 60 pages in a month and then I... So I was in Oregon for two months. I wrote the first 60 pages... I wrote the outline in a month and then I wrote the first 60 pages of the movie in the next month. Then I had to go back to New York and uh, like close up my affairs and like I had to do some work for money. And I met this young producer named Sarah Feinberg. And I said, I'm going to make my first feature. And she was decided she would help me do it. We were going to try and raise the money on our own. And then I showed her the first 60 pages of the script. And she said, it's great. You have to finish it. So then I went back to Oregon in, uh, God, I don't even know when now. And I went back to Oregon and I wrote the rest of the script. And then I had a feature script and I had never finished one before I had it. And I knew, this sounds really pompous. I knew that it was great. Like, I believed in that script more than I've ever believed in anything else in my entire life. More than any of the short films I made. I just felt like... I just felt so... It sound, I don't believe in God. I'm a complete atheist. But I felt so lucky and, like, I don't want to say blessed because I don't believe in God. But, like, I just felt like I was the luckiest person in the world. That, like, these factors of events and this real story about my sister-in-law and this idea popping into my head. And it all worked out. And I was just... I felt like I had won the lottery. I was, like, literally walking down the street with a script in my hand, like, it's so good, it's so good. Like, I was like, it's gonna work. It's gonna work. Like, and I, you have to, at this point, I was, like, $12,000 in debt. I had no job, I had no apartment. But you had
0: a gem.
1: But I had this script in my hand, and I believed that it would be, it would turn my life around. So, and I was incredibly, you know, pompous and arrogant about it. I was like, this, (laughs) this is the greatest script ever written. Like, I just believed in it so much. So then, uh, So then I was like, what do I do? I don't know how to make a movie. So I sent it, Film Independent, who I'd been in their film festival, Los Angeles film festival several times. They said, we have these labs, you know, you can uh, apply to the screenwriters lab. So I sent my script to the screenwriters lab. I got in, I went to LA, I was thrilled. I was like, oh my God, I'm here with people who've actually written scripts. And the lab was amazing. And I got to be very close with Josh Welsh, who runs the labs. And uh, I rewrote the script in the lab. And then I think the summer went by and I was talking to my agent about how we were gonna do this. And had you uh,
2: given your agent the script? Actually
1: before the lab I gave my agent the script and he said (laughs) I gave my agent the script and he had read some of the crappy screenplays I'd tried to read and he was like, Yeah, uh," like kind of like, oh maybe I should never assign to you. But so then but he still believes (laughs) in me, still believe in me, like still like I believe in you, you're gonna be great. So I gave him the script for Kablooey and I went in to meet with him and he was like, this is the greatest thing you have ever written. This is a phenomenal script. We will sell this for a million dollars. And I said, I hate to tell you this, but we're not going to sell it. We're gonna, I'm going to direct it and I'm going to play the lead. <laughs> and his sort of all the color drained out of his face for a moment and he went, oh, well if that's what you want to do, we'll do it. It's going to be a hell of a lot harder. But if that's what you want to do, I support you and we'll do it. But like, I just knew he was like, I'll support you. He just said, I want you to be realistic. This is going to be much harder to do it this way. And uh, because it's true, the thing people say to you, there's no easier way to get a foothold in Hollywood than to write a really great script. Because if you write a really great script, it just opens door after door after door. So, um, but he was like, but you're dragging yourself down. You're closing all those doors if you say you're going to be the actor in it. So, but I was like, no, I'm gonna be in it. So, just complete (laughs) confidence, like, even though it was completely foolish. And then I finished the lab, I had rewritten the script, and in October of 2005, so two years to the day from getting the idea, we started taking the script out and we made a small list of, uh, and I have to say, um, it all well anyway it went very quickly what happened went very quickly and it's all because of um i don't even know what i was gonna say i was gonna say something else i'll remember in a minute anyway we start taking the script out we take it to 12 companies and everyone is prepped for rejection because we're thinking you know it's i'm attached as the director and as the lead i have no feature credits i've never acted in a feature i've never directed a feature i've never written a feature it's not it's going to be very hard to get these people to say yes and Which
2: companies were you targeting? I and mean, what level? Company? We
1: picked. Well, originally, what we did is I skipped a step. What we did originally was my agent said, "I want you to write down a list of your favorite film directors." So I wrote down a list of twelve directors. You know, David Lynch, Pedro Almodovar, Alexander Payne, P.T. Anderson, David Russell, David Fincher, and uh, he said, that "We're going to send this script to their companies, and if they like it, we'll try and get them to grandfather the project, because that way it'll be easier." You know, we'll send them his shorts and we'll send them the script and hopefully that will help get some clout attached to the project so we can get it made. So we sent it out to these 12 companies. and Actually, I think there were 10. And we got a lot of positive response, but nobody really willing to come on board. But a lot of people saying, I really liked this script. But then we would say, well, he's attached and they'd say, that's going to be hard. We're not really sure. I mean, But a lot of great feedback. So then my agent said, okay, this is what we're going to do next. The next round is, we're going to 12 production companies that have their own money. And... Um, so uh, he affiliated
2: picked... with studios like no. many majors or mm. like intermedia or like. I think they weren't.
1: I don't think any of them were affiliated with studios. It wasn't any of the. It wasn't any of the boutiques. It was all independent producers who have their own money. Just and a lot of them were smaller outfits. Um, although some of them were larger and, uh, but mostly independent companies, independent film companies, not uh, affiliated with studios. And we sent it out to twelve companies and six of them came back and said, "We love it. We'll do it." Wow. And we were stunned. And then my agent said, "Well, uh, he's playing the lead. You know that." And then three of the companies who didn't get that message somehow, they said, "Oh, well, we're not doing that. It's no, there's no way it's going to work if he's a lead." So then we had three left, and we kept talking. I went and met with, and one of them, lo and behold, was a deal with Rhodes Raider from Ben Stiller's production company, oh who was now gosh. at a company called Whitewater. He, we sent him the script because my agent said, remember that guy you met a long time ago? He said, when you had a script, he wanted to read it. Let's put him on the list. He's got a deal with his company, Whitewater. Put him on the list. The first meeting I had, I went in. It was Rhodes Raider. And he was like, how are you? Great to see you again. Two years later or three years later, he said, I loved your script. We want to make it. You can star in it. You can direct it. We want to make it. We want to, like, we want to do this movie. And <laughs> I was like, great. So then I left. And then my agent said, we have another interest. We had... These two other companies, one was in New York, and they had literally gone in production into production the day they got the script, and they were like, "We love it. We really can't do anything for a month. Like literally, we are on set shooting." Uh, and then you know, there's just like it just, but it kept coming back to this company, Whitewater and Rhodes Raider, and he was so aggressive and so, I just liked him so much, and his partner was Jeff Bayless from Project Greenlight. The two of them, they were like, "We want to make this movie," so we kept meeting with them, and then eventually we just said the other companies, you know, thank you, but we can't wait. We're going to go with this company that wants it now. And we signed the deal. And uh at this time I was in another lab, at Film Independent, the Producers Lab. Josh put me through all four labs. I went through the Screenwriters Lab, the Producers Lab, the Directors Lab, and also the Fast Track program. And so we had a deal. And when I went in, and I have to say it was it was a month. We made the deal in a month, you know, like it happened in a month. And That is crazy, crazy, crazy unlikely. And the reason that it happened so quickly, I know what I was gonna say earlier is, is because I had such a good agent. Because when you have a powerful agency behind you, they send the script out, they get an answer the next day. You always hear about these independent filmmakers who are like, oh, I sent my film to this actor or I sent it to this producer and it took them six months to read it and I was waiting. But when you have a good agent behind you, when you have a powerful agency behind you, they have relationships and connections, and they turn it around. We got responses the day, the next day. And I kept saying, oh, my God, I can't believe how quickly people are responding. They said, well, that's because it's coming from a good source. You know, Broder's a respected literary agency. Todd Hoffman is a good agent. And he is doing a great job of selling you and saying, here's a next Wes Anderson script. You know, it's amazing. You're going to love it. So a lot of the reason that it happened so quickly is because I had such a great agent. And it, it's hard to... Uh, I mean...
2: And you're still with the same still agent? Still with the same
1: agent. But now, in the middle of production of Kablooey, uh, ICM and Broder merged, and now I'm an ICM client. But I had the same agent. Oh, yeah,
0: we wondered that, because when we went to see the film...
1: Yeah, at ICM. At
0: ICM, yeah. we were like... We we were just wondering, is this... Because people are always talking about, like, packaged. these packaging uh, groups at different agencies, and we wondered if this film was packaged by ICM or something
1: it, like that. I mean, I guess so. It was a Broder... I was a Broder when we set the film up. We didn't package it really be, well. We kind of packaged it, I guess, in as much as that I interviewed a lot of the -the below-the-line people from Broder. And Mm -hmm. I think some of our below-the-line people are from Broder. Um, Our editor was, uh, and a few others. But in the middle of production on Kablooey, uh, ICM and Broder merged, and then I became an ICM client. Well, now listening to
0: your story, I mean, we know it's a completely different story than we when we thought it was, um, you know, the way you, the way it progressed was a much more uh, sort of organic sort of way. And one of the key factors was uh, meeting this agent. And the other key factor was your writing this script and then having this incredible certainty on it.
1: Well, I, you know, it, and it's true that like the agent really helped, but even I think, I mean, to my agent's great credit, he supported me all the way and went with it, but I got the sense from him. You're asking for a miracle to take place. He was like this, You're a first timer You've never made a feature You've never written a feature You've never acted in anything Well I had in commercials and my own stuff But my shorts But he was like "This You acted in your shorts? I'm the actor in all my shorts I'm the star of all my shorts Because it was cheaper You know I could just be So that's And also that's actually How I also sold the feature was They were like Well how are you going to act In the uh, feature And I said I've been the star In all my shorts And they had seen all my shorts So And Rhodes Raider Was like I've seen him in his shorts He's great He can do it So,
2: and how about Lisa Kudrow?
1: So, we got the deal, we went into production, and then we start talking about casting. And at this time, the budget of the film was much smaller than it ended up being. What Uh, was
2: the original budget? I can't tell you
1: what it is because we're in negotiations right now to sell it. Oh, but it's a low, it was a very low budgeted, Mm. very low budgeted film. At it was first. all
2: going to be financed through this Whitewater.
1: Whitewater Films has their own financing. They were going to finance the film. It was a low-budget film, and and uh, they had said you can star in it and you can direct the film, but you have to get a big-name actress to play the sister because otherwise, this film has nothing we can sell it on. So, and I, again with complete confidence from nowhere, was like, we'll get big actors in all these parts. Like we'll get huge stars for all these roles. Like totally talking out of my ass. And yet, it totally happened. So, it really is true that thing of if you say, it, if you believe it, and you say it, the world will respond and make it true. So, we start. They give you a list. Your casting director gives you a list. These are the actresses who are available in Hollywood.
2: Who did you, Who did you pick as your casting director?
1: Jeff Bayless hooked us up with Annie McCarthy and Jay Scully at Engine, and they are amazing. Um, I love them. I will have them cast everything I ever do. So. So uh, they agreed to do it because they had worked with Jeff Bayless a lot before. So they give us a list. Here's who's available. And you go through, You sit around this big table with the list and you're all going over it and the police are coming. Um, so
0: We better go. Yeah, that's it. I gotta go. Um,
1: so, uh, and then you go through the list and you get to say, you get to knock people off. And like there'll be an actress on there and you'll be like, oh my God. Like you hate this actress. You'll be like, uh, take her off the list, and so everyone takes off the list, and then the financier will say, "I hate this actress." So you take her off the list, and then you it's, and then you start shuffling. You know, what's the order? Who do you want? Like, who's your number one go to, and how do you want to do it? And and, um, and and you
2: go with offers,
1: and you go with offers, and because we had a big agency. Well, this is the thing: Jeff Bayless and Rhodes Raider are very well known young movers and shakers in young hollywood and they had a lot of great connections so when we wanted to go to an actress namely lisa kudrow they went and did all the recon they were like okay how do we get to lisa kudrow so they talked to people who had made movies with her and they you know they they called everybody they had this great network and then we found out the way to get to lisa kudrow is you've got to make her a money offer which actually is actually something you should do for any actress because when you go to an actress with just a script and you say here's a script there's no money attached. Like we don't have financing yet. They know you're trying to get financing on their name. But if you go to an actress and you say, here's the script and here's a money offer, it's no money, but we're saying we have money. So even if it's like $10, they know that, I mean, well, it's probably not, it should be more than $10, but we made a money offer to Lisa. Like, you know, we'll pay you this amount. It's a very, very low budgeted film. And, uh, and, you know, we go to our manager, do this, do this, do this. We did all these things. And uh, we had, and, But before we ever got to Lisa, we were trying to, you know, get agents to help us. You know, we want to submit to so-and-so, and it was difficult. It's always difficult to get to actors. And then my advisor, Cotty Chubb, who's my mentor from the film program at Film Independent, said, what you've got to do is you've got to go to the agency and have a meeting with them. And when they meet you and they hear your passion for the project, then they'll be more excited about putting their clients in your movie. So we had a meeting at Endeavor. They gave us a list, and... The first name I saw on the list was that popped out of me was Lisa Kudrow. And I was like, oh, my God, is Lisa Kudrow available? And he said, and I saw it happen right in front of me. He looked up at me and he went, yeah, she is available. And he went, huh, that might really work out. She's available. Something else had fallen through. We originally had been told she wasn't available. And then he's like, no, she's available. And, like, you could just see the gears turning in his head. And I remember thinking at that moment, we're going to get her. So we make her an offer. We wait. We did have to wait a while for her to read it uh, because they told us, I think her son had just started school again. Like it was a, or there was holidays. I don't even remember what was going on at the time, but so like in a month, it took her a month to read it. And then one morning I woke up and I get an email which says, hi Scott, it's Lisa Kudrow. I love your script Kablooey. Um, can I, do you have time to talk on the phone? And, and then sign uh, signed Lisa. And her email address was, I mean, it's not LisaKudrow at AOL.com, but it was almost as simple as that. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was a joke. It was like someone's pulling a joke on me. So I call my friends and I was like, very funny. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. You make a fake Lisa Kudrow (laughs) email address. You send me an email. You think it's funny. Like and everyone was like, I think that's real. I didn't do that. So then I email back and I said, uh, yeah, sure. You can call me. Here's my phone number. Five minutes later, my phone rings. I answer it. And I said, hello. And she says, Hi Scott, it's Lisa, and I recognized your voice from Friends. I was like, oh my god, it's her! Like she's calling me. So I'm standing in my kitchen. Uh, my, I should say, I'm standing in my friend's kitchen. I had come out to LA and I was staying with a friend in his guest room, sleeping on the floor. I took for the meetings, and I just never left. I was there for two years, staying with him,
2: oh. sleeping <laughs> what a on the floor. Nice friend.
1: Yeah, I just moved out like a month ago. <laughs> wow. So I'm standing in his kitchen in my boxers, and I'm talking to Lisa Kudrow, and I got so excited. And nervous, and I was talking a million miles a minute about the movie, and and uh, I just was so I started like uh, like hyperventilating a little bit. I was breathing really quickly, and I just acted like a complete boob on the phone. And the fact that she took the movie at all based on my talk on that phone is ridiculous. (laughs) But but um, we talked about the script, and she just said, "I really love this script." She said, "I love it. I love how awkward it is. Like the people are so awkward with each other. Everyone's so separate. I love the awkward." Anger of this, uh, these two characters don't get along. I love the ending. I love the character. I love everything about it. I told her it was about my real sister in law. I told her a little about my sister in law on the phone. And uh, and she said, Well, I love it. I want to do it. I have to just check with my husband and uh, if I can go out of town for a few weeks. And she said, Well, you know, what's the budget? She didn't know anything. They didn't, I mean, I don't think she knew any of the, we made an offer or anything. She just got a script. And I told her the budget and she went, oh, oh, so it's a low-budget movie, a really low-budget movie. And I went, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, God, we're going to lose her. And then she's like, well, let me talk to my husband. I really want to do it. She said, I just have to make sure it's okay for me to go out of town for a few weeks. I was like, okay. So we hang up the phone, and then I call the producer. was like, ah, like I'm saying every word at once. I'm like, This is go down, ah! and i like freaking into the phone. And then I think then it took her a week or two to get back to us and which I found out later really was just her going to her husband and saying, is it okay if I go to Texas for a few weeks? And But at the time, what we thought was going on was we thought she was going to go to her agents, and her agents were going to say, you know, you can't be in a feature with a guy who's never directed a feature and has never acted in a feature, has never written a feature. You can't. We assumed, and we had assumed this from the beginning, that we'd get a big star, and the star or her people would say, well, you can direct the film, but you can't act in it. We want a name opposite her. Or you can act in it, but we want a, a more experienced hand directing the film. And then, so we were all nervous about that. Like, And I thought, and I think everyone thought that I would cave, that Lisa's people would call and say, Lisa will accept the film, but you can't act in it. And I think the producers thought I would cave and we'd get another big star. And I think everyone thought I would just give up. And I remember thinking, we will have to pass on Lisa Kudrow. I'm going to be in this movie. And then Lisa called me and said, I love it and I'll do it. I'll see you in Texas. Wow. So, That's so
0: great. Why did you guys shoot it in Texas?
1: The producers uh, had looked into all the state incentives and the one that was most... I think we were told at the time that Louisiana was so uh, replete with production that we wouldn't be able to hire a crew. And I think we'd heard the same thing about New Mexico. And we went to Texas and it seemed like... we Location scouted in Utah and Texas. And we found a building, the office building. The most important location to me was the office building, and we found it in Texas. That, and that is a really, a
2: cra- really crazy location. Yeah. Because okay. it's it's so um, cold and Desolate. corporate, and then it's, it's like in the middle of a cornfield. It's yeah. the strangest feeling. Yeah. It's almost like it's abandoned, but then there are all these Definitely people in that. there.
1: That's what we want. That's exactly what we want. That
0: image, too, of the uh, guy in the blue suit out on the road like that. Oh. It's yeah. just... It's something, you know, that you had that image of this guy in the blue suit. And then that is such, for me, at least I was saying to Kamala, when I first saw uh, the picture of the, the, I think it was a poster or something online. I was like, you know, just seeing that guy in the blue suit out on that road just makes me want to see that movie. I don't know what the movie's about or anything. I don't yeah, know why that would yeah. be interesting. But to me, it's like, wow, I want to see that. And then, of course, it was much more than that.
2: And also because I think that image is both of those things that the movie is, which is, like you said, it's funny, but it makes
0: you cry.
1: Yeah, sad, funny and sad. It's a melon comedy. That's what we're calling <laughs> it. A melon
0: comedy. Is yeah. it a comedy about melon? It's a melons? melon comedy. Yeah,
1: people think it's about melon. <laughs> his head is melon-shaped.
0: Yeah. Well, okay, so okay so now you're on the set you've only directed five shorts and and you got a whole crew and everything like this what was that like? and you're Um, acting in it
2: and you're acting opposite Lisa Kudrow
0: opposite Lisa Kudrow
1: never been in a movie and your first feature (laughs) film you're starring opposite oh and also not just Lisa Kudrow but the minute we had Lisa then all these other amazing actors who it all kind of happened piecemeal you know but like once we had Lisa it was like the indie stamp of approval and all the other actors were like yeah I'll do it sure I'll do it Although, I mean, some of them signed on before we had Lisa. Like, Terry Garr and Christine, I think we got before. And Jeffrey Morgan, we got after. It all happened piecemeal. But we suddenly, like two weeks before we were shooting, we had put together this amazing cast. And, and you know, it was like it had come true. Like, so, um, so I was terrified. Well... I was terrified, but I was also not terrified.
0: Well, and for all you're saying that you hadn't directed, you know, you you haven't directed a feature film, but you did direct really good, five really good short films. You were in them. So you've had this experience before. So you're an experienced director when you hit that set. Maybe not a feature, and obviously maybe not on that scale, but essentially it's the same sort of thing.
1: Well, I had never worked with a crew of more than five people. Mm -hmm. I had never worked on film. That was the thing that scared me the most. We shot on 35mm, we got a grant from Panavision to shoot. On a 35 millimeter, uh, with a 35 millimeter camera, and I was used to shooting on digital videotape. I mean, on a Canon XL1, I was like, "Just do another take, just keep going, just keep going. like it didn't matter. You could tape is you know what five dollars or a dollar like it didn't so I was worried like, well, are we gonna have to stop doing takes because we don't have enough film? I was really worried about the film allowance, and I made that very clear to my producers and to their credit, I never, ever, ever heard anyone say you have to stop you're running out of film they just knew that that was my big fear and they allowed for that and they got as much film as they could but so they understood that I was worried about it and I understood that I couldn't do too many takes so just somewhere in that understanding there was an unspoken understanding about we don't you can't do takes forever so I wouldn't do a lot of takes unless I knew that I had to we weren't getting something
2: how many feet did you shoot in the end
1: i have no idea i mean i could find out but i don't know i don't, <laughs> i literally just didn't think about it i didn't think about the film i didn't think about I just couldn't think about that because I didn't want it to scare me I didn't want to have to be worrying about that so um, my helicopter's here I gotta go soon um, but uh, so did
0: you have to direct while wearing that blue suit Yes. how was that?
1: It was fine um, for me all I'd ever done was direct myself in movies and in these shorts so in a way uh, there are there are a lot of advantages to directing yourself in a movie one when you 're directing a scene with another actor you are in the scene with the other actor it 's not like you 're standing outside saying, "Oh that was good can you do it again like this you 're in the scene with the actor so if it 's not going well they know it and you know it because you 're making eye contact or if it 's going really well you also know that so and Lisa comes from a background of improvisational comedy like I do so we I was in the scene with her you know like I mean I was doing the scene and if I wanted something different from her performance, I could adjust my performance. Like, I could speak more quickly, or I could speak more angrily, or I could, you know, do some, just change my performance and it would have an impact on her performance. Um, she didn't need a lot of a direction because she's a brilliant actress, but, um, you know, if there were some times I wanted something a little bit different, you could just do it from within. You're directing from within the movie. But it does make it harder for you. I rarely got the chance to look at playback because we just didn't have time. Although I didn't need to look at playback, I felt, if I was on camera. Because if I was on camera, I knew what we would do was I would see them setting up the shot. I would talk about the framing with the DP. I want it to look like this, you know, pull back a little bit more, a little bit higher, a little bit lower. Did you have
2: stand-ins?
1: I had a stand-in. And so we would frame it with a stand-in, and then I would switch places with a stand-in, and we would do the scene. And then I would just have to know, I would have to, like, just trust the DP got it the way we framed it, and then know that I would know from the performances, well, the performance was good, we got it. And then I would have a producer, I would look, make eye contact with a producer, like, are we getting it? Because I didn't have time to go and watch what we had just done. And, you know, a few times they would say, you need to do another one, or like, you know, something happened you didn't see. But but then again, you're only not able to see it when you're in it. So like, when it's the other person's coverage, you can watch what's going on. So, Um, but the drawback is, the drawback about this movie was, when you're inside a giant blue mascot costume with no eye holes, you can't see anything. So... That was the most playback that I would watch was I was doing the physical comedy of the beer or anything with the suit and trying to wrestle with something. I had no idea what it looked like because I was trapped inside a giant costume and there was no light. I couldn't, it was dark. I couldn't see anything and I had no idea. So then they would pop the head open and they would run up with a clamshell monitor and show me, I had a guy assigned to me, Brian Nelligan, who was like my right-hand guy. He had the clamshell monitor and he would tape every take and he would set it to show me so they'd pop up in the head he would show me the take i be like great let's move on or we have to do it again and uh, just with the understanding if we can't do too many takes and um, I don't know and it just worked out I think I was really starstruck at first by Lisa but I think it helped because my character is such a freak and he's supposed to be nervous around her and I totally was but um, and the first time I ever acted on my first we shot all this stuff outside the first time I my face was on camera was when they opened the door and I walk into Lisa's house.
2: Oh, that was so, great. That was a good, very good moment.
1: Yeah, so the first time I ever acted with her was me walking into the house that she lived in and it... <laughs> and I was terrified, so it totally worked for the movie. But also, you kind of get... It was really crazy because my favorite actress of all time is Terry Garr. And the very first day of the shoot, the call sheet said, Actors, Terry Garr, Scott Prendergast. And, I. you know, that was like... I still have that call sheet. It's like a dream come true. She's my favorite actress of all time. It's my first feature. I'm directing it. I'm acting in it. She's in it. We're doing a scene together. Like I couldn't, I just, I had so many moments of, I can't believe this is happening. But then eventually you just kind of get over it because you can't, you can't spend all the time being like, oh my God, like wetting your pants and freaking out because you have to get going. Like you have another take, you have another take. And then, so then I was like meeting actors and it, I got less starstruck and less awkward because I didn't have time to be awkward. And then like we were shooting Christine Taylor on the scene on the set and she is so beautiful and so nice and I was intimidated to meet her and all of these people had far more experience than I did but they loved the script and they trusted me and then I had confidence in myself because I knew they liked the script and trusted me and Christine Taylor called me the night before she shot and said we watched all your shorts tonight Ben Stiller her husband we watched all the shorts we love them you're so good. I can't wait to work with you tomorrow. And then I met Ben Stiller on the set. He came up to me and he was like, I watch your shorts. They're amazing. I watched The Delicious. I loved it. And so like this, you know, film that Sundance had rejected that I was like, oh, I'm a failure. That film still. I believed in it. I made a film. I believed in it. It carried me through. And then like Ben Stiller standing on the set of my first feature being like, I love that short film. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm not an idiot. I'm not faking it. I, I, I have some some level of talent. Like I'm, I'm not an idiot. Like I have a reason to be here. So, like, just sort of growing self-confidence as the film went on.
2: So what's happened with the film now?
1: So now we were in the Los Angeles Film Festival, and now we're in a bunch of film festivals coming up. We're going to be in the Montreal Film Festival at the end of the month. Ojai, the opening night of San Diego. Uh, We're in the Hamptons Film Festival, and that's just the next two months. Uh, And we're in talks with distributors. We got a lot of distributor interest, and it's all happening right now. I mean, I think the... Offers and contracts are taking. ICM is my agency is ha- is handling the sale of the movie. Wow! So it's all taking place literally as we speak. Wow, oh, that's
2: great. So now, what about music clearances? You had some really cool music in your film.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> I have. Horror- I feel like I'm talking a zillion miles a minute, which no, is what I always do. This is great. This
0: is so much information. It's terrific.
1: So I have a really terrible musical taste. I like The Spice Girls and Madonna, and I have the musical taste of a thirteen-year-old girl. And I just love really cheesy dance pop music. So then when it came time to pick music for the movie, I wanted, I worked very hard. I wanted to pick really cool. Well, first of all, we didn't have any money for a lot of music clearance. Oh, one thing I forgot to tell you is once we got all the celebrities, our budget tripled for the movie. So that the budget of the movie did go up. It just went up and it went up and it went up.
2: How? they just The producers were like,
1: the producers saw that we had a lot of people in hollywood responding to the script a lot of stars a huge cast they were willing to make more of an investment because they saw that people were responding to the script they thought we had they had a good product so they went the distance so anyway we didn't have a lot of money for music clearances i knew we couldn't buy any big songs so we went to independent rock bands that had never been in a movie we went like really really low le- not low level but just like indie rock bands who were just starting out so um we just contacted these indie rock bands that I had these songs that I had picked that I loved and I kind of was planning the movie to them in my mind and we called them and said, you know, we're making this movie, we don't have any money, but we'd love to have your song in the movie and they were small enough bands that they were like, Oh my god, that's amazing, we'd love to do it. So we made them a good deal and they were thrilled but we Is just... it
2: a, a deal that later on they get money?
1: I think so. I don't really know. Um yeah, I mean, I think that if it does well, they get more money. I, I don't really know. I know that if we make a soundtrack, they'll get a lot of money, so... We made them a very fair deal, I mean, according to how the production goes, but then again, those were, that's how it was not in my hands. I don't know how that worked, so... But we got great music, and then we got a great composer do the score, and uh, it's Roddy Bottom. He's in the band Faith No More, mm-hmm. and he wrote the score, and he was great, and,
0: uh... Well, it's a great movie. We really enjoyed the movie when we saw it, not and, good. um... I think we're going to have to wrap it up now, <laughs> unless you have something more to say. No, I've just been to say. So This so has quickly. been so interesting for me. I know yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting for other people as well.
2: You know what I'd like is when, um, when you're done with the festival circuit yeah. and the whole crazy distribution path that lies ahead, yes. if we could do a follow-up, yeah. that would be really great. Because I think that you've—I mean—you've definitely come like 70% of the way. But there's still like yep. 30% left, and this is, this is really important times for you, too, yeah. as far as deciding what home the movie's going to land in yeah. and how it's going to be released. And right. So that would be cool.
1: It's just weird, though, because I have no control over what's happening now. It's the hardest part. Well, at least it's in good hands. It's in good hands, but I have to sit back and, you know, with every other part of the movie, it's always been me like, okay, let's get it going, let's do it. Because like with my short films, I always did everything, so I was like, ah, let's go! and now I just have to sit back and wait and from the reports that I hear it's going really well but we but it takes time I guess so i don't know so it's frightening well
0: i think that um, we had a lot of really good film bites in this yeah. whole thing if you want to add another one if you have any film bites like what for what would be our people. the
2: the one thing that you would advise either people to do or not to do on their first movie?
1: Uh, I think on your first feature, the most important thing you have to do is you have to go into... There are two things I would recommend to any film. Three. One, always have a DVD with your shorts and your business card and a website. Two, when you go in for the deal, when you go into a meeting about your movie bring as much as you can have as much decided before you get to the meeting so if your movie is about a duck have a picture of the duck that you want like the duck is green you know it's this duck or if it's about um a car have a picture of the car that you want with me i went in with a drawing of the kablooey suit it looks like this his head is round his hands around it's this color here's the pantone color number because the more you go in with, the more it's like everything that's said in the meeting is kind of like the Bible of the movie. Like those things don't get questioned as much because you've come in with that package. So you're like, this is the suit. This is what it looks like. And so the more you can go in with your movie, the more like if you go in with songs, these are the songs that'll be in the movie. This is um, this is the look of the apartment where they're going to live. You know, the more you go in with, the better off you'll be. The more you'll get that you want for your vision. And the third thing I would say is. You should find a DP to work with that you love and trust and respect. Mostly that you trust that you would work with for the rest of your life. Before you ever go out to any meetings, find a DP that you want to work with, that you respect, that you know you'll have a good relationship with, that you know that will back you up. Because you and the DP, I mean, what for me, the DP is like the other director of the film. They are controlling so many things. And if you don't have any experience in film... That's a really crucial role to be filled. You want someone you can trust implicitly, that, you would, you know, that they would die for you and you would die for them because the two of you being strong will control the movie. So find a D- if you don't have a DP now, do not go into a meeting for your first feature and be like, oh, I don't know what DP I want. Like, go in with the DP that you want. You know this DP, or even if it's three DPs and let them choose, find DPs that you know and love and respect that you want to work with. That's the most important thing you can do.
0: All thank right. You. All right. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, thank you. This was really great. And um,
2: what's your website?
1: Yeah. Uh, astateof.com. www.astateof.com. Like a state of emergency. State of my company is com. called Emergency, so the website is astateof.com. Nice. Oh, nice.
2: Thank
0: you so much
1: for being on Fat thank Free you. Film. <laughs> thank you for having me. And thanks for uh,
0: listening. And uh, also, I just wanted to plug my friend's uh, catering company. His name is Alex Weber. And he has alexwebercatering.com. Check it out. He does great catering for um, movie sets, and he's just—he's pretty inexpensive. And I just wanted to put that out there for you guys.
2: How do you spell Weber?
0: Oh, that's a good question. W-E-B-B-E-R. And if that's wrong, I'm gonna put it on the website. <laughs> All right, and have a good—have uh, a good week.